Thank you for joining me again today on the Bible Foundations program. I'm Jerry Smythe, your host, and what a joy is ours as we see the unfolding of the promises of God throughout the centuries, all revealed as God reveals himself to us as Jesus, God's Son. Yes, Jesus is God the Son, as we'll see again today. But God has loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever simply believeth in him shall not perish. You see, Jesus is the Deliverer. He's the one that's been promised from the beginning of time. He's the one that all of the Old Testament patriarchs were looking to, to deliver them and all mankind from the penalty of death. The penalty of death that rests on every man because we are born dead to God. And God has so graciously given us his word so that we can hear the word and respond in belief to him. Looking on Jesus as our Savior, we have hope for eternal life rather than to live under the condemnation of eternal death. That's what rests on every person. Now, our last time together, we saw that the Pharisees, those religious leaders who had added to the law of God, they were all unhappy with Jesus. Now, we've watched the life of Jesus unfold in absolute sinlessness. But when he begins to reprove these religious leaders about their own hard attitudes and tell them that they need to repent, well, they got very angry with him. Let me ask you something, friend. Do you get angry with people that try to remind you of your need of a Savior? Are you offended when someone you think is lesser than you tells you that you need to be saved? Perhaps you're even offended when someone that you know loves the Lord, is concerned about you, and shares his concern for you, perhaps you respond in anger the way these uh, Pharisees did. These Pharisees were filled with a critical attitude. They thought they were makers of the rules and that God should accept them just because they were the makers of their own rules. After all, they were trying to refine the word of God. They were adding to the word, and they themselves couldn't even live up to what they were adding. The prophet Isaiah had spoken of people like these Pharisees. Isaiah had said things like, You people say good things about God with your lips, but in your hearts you do not really believe God's word, or love God, or even want to obey him. Isaiah had exposed their hearts clear back 700 years before Christ, and it was certainly still true in Jesus' time, and it is still today. Is it right for anyone to add his own ideas and rules to the Bible? No, we must never add or take away from the Word of God. Does what we eat or wear make us acceptable or unacceptable to God? No, it isn't what, we, what goes into our stomachs or what clothes we wear that makes us acceptable or unacceptable to God. God looks at the heart, my friend. You see, it's only the pride of man that tries to impress God and everyone else by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Remember what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 20. He said, That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and defile the man. Those are the words of Jesus. Jesus is God. He could see right down into the heart. After all, he was our creator. 
and he knew exactly what the sinful heart of man would be if Adam and Eve disobeyed in the first place and what each of us would be like from there on. And he came to save us from just those things, to save us from the power of Satan and the power of sin and eternal death. He wants to give us eternal life. He wants to change our thought patterns right from the inside of us because he knows how to give us new life, a new birth, a birth by the Spirit of God that will bring forth the fruit of righteousness which is acceptable to God. God accepts those who come to him with a humble heart, just like that tax collector. One of those tax collectors was Matthew, and he was one whom God used in a marvelous way. He hadn't been a popular man. He'd been quite unpopular. It was offensive to the Pharisees that Jesus would even accept such a one as a tax collector. But Jesus accepted him. Why? Because he came God's way. He came acknowledging himself as a helpless sinner, and he needed a Savior. He needed one who could deliver him from the power of Satan, which was evidenced in his life by dishonesty and all of these other things that we've mentioned, covetousness and wickedness and deceit, besides the sexual sins that were bred right within the heart of man as well. You see, God will accept you and I, not on the basis of anything we do. I don't care how good your record is. It's not good enough to satisfy God. Only Jesus is good enough to satisfy God. And that's why we need to understand that he is our hope. He is our promised deliverer. He is our savior, my friend, and we need a savior. We often speak in our secular society referring to the fact that people are geared to what is temporal, are temporary and not eternal. People today live just as people did back then in Jesus' time. People live as if there was no eternity and only just the here and now. Yet even among those who scoff at God's truth about eternal concerns, there's tremendous fascination with such things that are supposedly spiritual of a satanic uh, source, such as reincarnation or out-of-body experiences. Listen, folks, make no mistake about it. Satan is a liar. He's an ancient liar. He's the father of all lies, and he continues to twist the truth and package the results into something that looks attractive to someone who does not want to change their ways or doesn't want to allow God to have first place in their life. God said, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. You see, men and women today have been seduced by Satan to believe that they'll reappear in other forms in other times as a human or an animal, that these ideas of reincarnation are one of Satan's cruel tricks to fool people into feeling a false sense of hope for eternity. Rest assured, my friend, reincarnation is not found in the Bible. It's one of Satan's lies. Now, another thing that Satan tries to lie to us about is this matter of what happens after death. Many people believe that as soon as you die, it's over. You go into a resting place, and that's the end of that. But make no mistake about it, my friend. The Bible teaches and has always taught that there is life after death. While this body can be described as the house in which the real you lives, we recognize that when we depart from this house, there's something that was there that is not. Well, where did it go? This is something to be further studied at a later time, but make no mistake about it. The Lord promises us that there is a resurrection coming 
both for the just and the unjust. Matthew chapter 25 verse 46 says, And these shall go away to everlasting punishment. John 5.28 says, Well, let's back up into John 5.25. It says this, Verily, verily, I say unto you, This is Jesus speaking, The hour is coming, and now is, When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, And they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given unto him, hath given to him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Now the good or the evil is defined most clearly, as we've described in our time together on Bible Foundations, as those who have believed and those who have not believed. Those who have believed have been promised eternal life. They're raised unto the resurrection of life. Those who have refused to believe the wrath of God abides on them forever, and it isn't over at the grave. Acts chapter 24, verse 15 reminds us that of the resurrection of dead, which is called both for the just and the unjust. Again, for the believers and for the unbelievers. If you think it's all over, my friend, when you die, you're wrong. The Bible clearly teaches that you will be brought up out of the grave to face the great white throne judgment. And we've talked about what comes out of a man. Let's look at what God says about what comes out of a man in the next to the last chapter in the Bible. Revelation chapter 21. He gives promises to those who believe and promises to those who refuse to believe and refuse to repent because they don't believe. In verse 6 of chapter 21 of Revelation, he say, uh, it says this, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. This is Jesus talking. And I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. And he that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. He shall be my son. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and the sorcerers and the idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Make no mistake about it, my friend. God will hold every person accountable for what they did with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's why it's critical that we broadcast this very news to you today, for it's offering you an opportunity to find life everlasting in Jesus Christ and be rescued, to be delivered, to be bought back from the penalty of sin and death that rests on you and every person. Now, Satan is a liar, as we've already established, and all over the world we see that people are following beliefs and stories and ideas that originated not as truth, but as lies of Satan, designed to draw men and women and children away from the truth of God. But when we read the Bible, we're reading the truth. It's been given to us by God himself, who is eternal and does not lie. 
Now we want to draw attention for just a few minutes to a question that Jesus asked those who were following closely. He asked this question of those that were his disciples, those whom he was teaching and training to take the good news of his salvation to the rest of the world. Jesus was continually teaching, day and night, if you will, because he wanted his own disciples to understand what was taking place and who he was and what God's plan was as it was being delivered to them and revealed to them right before their eyes. Now, they'd had a lot of evidence of the supernatural power of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus would ask them questions from time to time to see what their heart's response really was. In Mark 8:27, let's read together. It says, And Jesus went out and his disciples into the city, into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say Elias, and others one of the prophets. Now you'll remember that King Herod had imprisoned and killed John the Baptist. Because he reproved John, uh, King Herod, John reproved King Herod of uh, committing adultery by having his brother's wife. And she hated him. And she had John the Baptist beheaded when her daughter pleased the King Herod. And he had promised her daughter anything that she, he wanted, that she wanted. And she requested at her mother's evil uh, uh, suggestion that he deliver to her the head of John the Baptist. And so John was dead. Some people, when Jesus asked this question, replied that way because they thought that Jesus was John the Baptist who had been raised from the dead. That's what these disciples were telling Jesus in response to his question. And then they said that others just thought that Jesus was Elijah, the great prophet. Now, Elijah was a great prophet whom we'll study in the future in our second phase of Bible Foundations, if you will, please. Our second uh, major section of scriptural study. And we'll come back to that. But Elijah the prophet, who had been taken to heaven by God about 850 years before, is the man whom they were thinking had come back to earth. Now, this was 850 years before Jesus came into the world, and they thought that perhaps Elijah had come back as Jesus. Some people just plain thought that Jesus was Elijah who had come back to earth. But Jesus Christ is the only Savior, my friend. Jesus had clearly presented to the people who he was. He had told the people that he was the Son of God, the Deliverer whom God had promised from the beginning of the world. He had shown them his power by his great miracles which he'd done. And the great authority with which he spoke confirmed that. Men's hearts were convicted. But friends, the majority of the Jews still did not believe him. Now, my friend, it's critically important to you to believe who Jesus was and to know who Jesus was. And you must settle in your heart who exactly Jesus is. It makes a difference of eternal life or death. You see, many people are deceived by lies from Satan himself that just write Jesus off as a good man who changed the course of history in his day and a good teacher. A good teacher who was able to do some miracles. And others say, well, he's just another prophet. You realize that that's what the religion of Islam teaches? Islam teaches that Jesus was just another prophet. And that Muhammad was his prophet also. He was a later prophet. But my friend, that doesn't hold water according to the Bible. Because God gave his complete revelation in the Bible and he said nothing 
Do you catch that? Nothing is to be added to God's word. Muhammad was born about 800 years after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We'll see that as we go along here. But my friend, he was not simply just another prophet. Jesus spoke only the truth. He told men what the conditions of their hearts were and how they could be rescued from the power of Satan and sin and eternal death. Jesus did not leave us the opinion to believe only a part or of what he said about himself. If anything he said was not true, he could not be the Son of God because he's holy. God is holy and God is perfect. And if he spoke the truth, then we must believe him and trust in what he has said. He has not promised another redeemer or another prophet or another savior. Jesus himself is God. But we must have faith in order to, be, to please God and be saved. You see, Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and he gives us the record in the Bible. There is no record as the Bible. It's all, all other records have been added by mankind. Man's opinion, attempting to, to draw attention to themselves in the same way that Satan himself has drawn attention away from God. He has many tricks, he has many ways, and he has many religions. Now Jesus' disciples had asked, answered the question, of whom, say ye that, whom, whom do men say that I am? By saying that some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, some say one of the prophets. Then Jesus gets real personal, and he said unto them in verse 29, But whom say ye that I am? And oh, my friend, listen for the response. It's Peter that answers and says unto him, And Peter answereth and said unto him, Thou art the Christ. Jesus is teaching these who are traveling with him now these years, and we see that Jesus is teaching them the critical issues, the critical understanding. Jesus knew that his disciples would never be accepted by God his Father if they did not believe that he was the Savior whom God had promised to send into the world. Peter knew and believed. Did you catch that? Peter knew and believed. Now you're going to see that Peter is not a perfect man. He's not one that is spotless in his way of life. He's not one who's spotless in his language. He's not one who is spotless in his mannerisms by any means. He's no saint. Well, not in himself he isn't, but Peter knew that Jesus Christ, it, Jesus was the Christ. Thou art the Christ. Peter knew that Jesus was the one that God had promised in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve had sinned. Peter knew that Jesus was the one whom God had promised to send as the descendant of Abraham and David. And Peter knew that Jesus was the one whom God, through the prophets, had promised would come into the world. Jesus was the Christ, that is, God's great prophet, God's great priest, great high priest, and God's great king. Jesus the Christ was God's messenger or prophet to the whole world. He spoke only the truth, and Jesus Christ was also the great high priest. He came from God to take away the sins of the world, not simply to make a temporary payment and stall off the wrath and judgment of God, but he came to take away the sins of the world. And Jesus the Christ was the great king. He was sent by God to be the final ruler over the whole world. And we're going to see that to come probably in our lifetime. Now, after Peter answered that question of whom say ye that I am, and Peter responds, Thou art the Christ, 
Verse 30 tells us he charged them that they should not tell, they should tell no man of him. Jesus wanted people to listen to him and really believe his words in their hearts. He didn't want people following him just because the disciples said he was Christ. And God doesn't want you to believe in Jesus just because a teacher or a pastor or this radio preacher or someone else tells you that he be what he believes about Jesus. You see, you must not depend on me or anyone else. You must believe the word of God. Now, if you only follow people and do not believe the word of God, you will not be accepted by God. Your faith needs to be in God and in his word. Now we see in verse 31 of Mark chapter 8 that Jesus begins to teach a step farther. In the setting of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the promised Savior of the world who would take away the sins of the world. In that very context, he begins to foretell some of the things that are yet going to happen in his life. Oh, my friend, we are about to approach the most climatic event of all of mankind's history, the most important turning point of all of history. The most profound point since the point of Adam's sin is just about upon us. And Jesus begins to reveal to his people now, his disciples, what's going to happen in the near future. Verse 31 says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Jesus knew that he must die. And he's preparing his disciples and even telling you and I as we read it in Scripture that he knew it was going to happen. Jesus knew that Satan would use Jewish leaders to kill him because they did not believe that he was God's son, the promised deliverer. Jesus also knew that although he would die and be buried, he would come out of the grave again after three days and three nights. Oh, my friend, can you tell what's going to happen to you tomorrow? Are you going to get sick or will you be healthy? Where will you be a year from now? And how long will your life be on earth? My friend, we cannot know these answers. The answers to any of these questions are known only to God. We can't answer them. We do not know our future. But Jesus knew his future. Jesus is God. God knows everything. And Jesus was not just a man like us. Yes, he was born a man, but he was not a man just like us. Jesus was also God the Son. Hundreds of years earlier, the, the prophets had foretold many exact details of what would happen to Jesus. Now, you'll remember in earlier lessons that we've studied the, in the Bible together that many of the Old Testament prophecies have already been fulfilled, that uh, that. Jesus was predicted that he would be the descendant of King David, that he would be born of the virgin in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 as well as Genesis 3:15, and that Micah 5:2 told us that he would be born in Bethlehem, and that Hosea 11:11, 11:1 rather, would tell us that he would have to flee into Egypt. And then Isaiah 11 chapter 11 verse 2 would tell us many of his characteristics. But now we see the promises of God in the Old Testament telling us that the Savior, the Deliverer, must suffer for others. He would suffer many things and be rejected by Jewish leaders. It was promised that he would be killed, but it was also promised that he would be raised from the third day. On the third, he'd be raised from the dead on the third day. You see, Jesus 
knew and believed what was written in the Old Testament about him. He knew that he was the deliverer whom God had promised. He knew that all that had been said about him would certainly come to pass. God's word is always fulfilled, my friend. We recognize that Jesus Christ was God, but we also recognize that he was man. Let's turn in Mark chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, and see that Jesus had a human body just as we do, but he was a real man, but he was also truly God. As a man, he, he had already predicted what the scripture had already said before him, that he would be murdered by these who refused to believe, but that he would be raised again on the third day. Now, as Jesus travels with his disciples, we see in verse 2 of chap, uh, Mark chapter 9, And after six days Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain, apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceedingly white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. Oh, my friend, Jesus had a human body just as we do. But he was a real man, but he was also really God. He was true God. As people looked at him, he looked like any other man ordinarily. But what he did and what he showed was very different. It demonstrated that he was indeed the sinless, spotless Son of God. Now, friends, in this picture of the transfiguration, right there on the mountain before Peter, James, and John, at the top of the mountain, we see that Jesus' body became as a raiment, his raiment became as a shining, exceeding white as snow, so that no fuller on earth could white it like that. He began to glow with the glory of God. Now, this is the only time while Jesus was on earth that the God part of Jesus showed through his human body. His human body usually hid the God part of him, you see, so that when people looked at him, he looked just like an ordinary man. Now, my friend, do you remember back to the tabernacle that we studied, which God told Moses and the Israelites to build him when they were on Mount Sinai in the wilderness? And outside of this building, the outside of this building was covered with the skins of animals. And when people looked at it, they saw only the old dried up skins. But the inner room, but inside the inner room, the underneath and underneath the skins, there was a very bright light which showed that God was there. That very bright light was called the Shekinah glory of God. And it was in the inner room. It was in the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where God demonstrated himself only to those who were inside of the tabernacle. Now, this is how it was with Jesus. His human body looked just like that of an ordinary man. The outer skins are that would parallel the tabernacle, if you will. But inside, he was also the great, almighty, all-knowing God who created the heavens and earth. Matthew, who is one of Jesus' disciples, says in the book that he wrote in the Bible that up there on the mountain, Jesus' face began to shine like the sun. They couldn't even look on him, my friend. He was just so bright with the glory of God. And while Peter, James, and John were watching, verse 4 tells us, And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Now you remember that Elijah was a Jewish prophet. We can read about him in Second Kings, in the early parts of that book. And we've mentioned earlier that he was taken to heaven by God about 850 years before Jesus came to earth. And here now he appears right there on the mountain with Jesus. And the Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses died and was buried by God himself. 
Moses' death took place about 1,400 years before Jesus came to earth. Now, God did not take Moses away to heaven the same way he took Elijah. Moses left his body when he died, and his body was buried. But consider this. Elijah and Moses had been with God for hundreds of years. When they were alive on the earth, they believed God's word, and they trusted in God and the coming deliverer. Because of this, when they left the world, they were not separated from God in hell. God accepted them along with Abel and Seth and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David and everyone else who had agreed with God that they were helpless sinners and trusted in God to send the Savior. Now God had allowed Elijah and Moses to come back to earth to talk to Jesus. Now, friends, heaven is a real place, but it's not in this world. The Bible teaches that, the hev that heaven is God's home, and everyone who agrees with God and trusts in Jesus, the Savior whom God has sent, will go to live with God in heaven when they die. Can you imagine living in the place where God's very presence is and having access to him personally and daily and continually? Oh, what a joy it'll be to be there without sickness and without pain and without the fear that surrounds us daily. My friend, that's what God offers us through Jesus Christ when he says, Whosoever believeth shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. Thank you once again for being a part of Bible Foundations.